Well, if you're glad you say tonight, say amen. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I appreciate that good singing tonight. My goodness. And I appreciate the youth choir, that special music, and the nuns. I get to sing behind that quite often. I get to preach behind it quite often there at the church, and I sure do appreciate them. Appreciate our church family being here. I want to say thank you to Woodland for your hospitality, uh, for having us here uh, tonight. And I appreciate the good hospitality that's already been shown to me. And that's a reflection on your pastor. And I do appreciate your preacher. And I, I'd hate to even tell him this. I want his head to swell. He's one of my favorite preachers. He really is. And uh, I love him. I love him to death. And you know what? He's got a zeal about him. I love that. And uh, you know what? I'm sure he has some tough days, but he don't wear it all the time. I don't see. Y'all might see it, but I don't always get to see that. And uh, he's a tremendous blessing. And he'll be with us in December uh, again this year. Man, we're excited to have him with us. And Again, we're just thankful for you to be here tonight. I realize a lot of you Tuesday night, you could have stayed at the house, a lot of places you could have been besides the house of God. But I want to say thank you for your faithfulness here tonight. I know that means a lot to you, preacher, uh, just to look out and see folks that are here. And I thank you so much for being here. I'd say this while you're turning in your Bible. I don't tell a lot of jokes, but I want you to turn your Bible with me to Nehemiah chapter number 3. I'd say this uh, while you're turning over there. I used to say this quite often. I remember getting to sing when Brother Zeno was still around and used to follow him around, and I'd be singing where he was preaching. That's where God called me to preach. And, uh, man, that was a blessing to be able to do that. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. But anyhow, uh, but I appreciate the ministry of the church. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I've often, I've said this everywhere I go, and I wouldn't be worth my salt if I didn't say this. If you go through life, now listen, I want to make a pause. All of us are making an impact in somebody's life. I can say that. It might be positive. It might be negative. Now listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I want to make a positive impact on somebody's life every day that I live. But I'd say this, if you go through life, and I'm used to shaking everybody's hand, well, man, y'all so spread out, uh, I couldn't get everybody's hand shook. If you don't get to shake my hand and you don't never get to know Brian Pondish, you ain't lost much. But can I say this, if you go through life and you don't know Jesus, oh, 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 you've lost it all. Man, I tell you right now, that second song is singing, but for the blood... Oh, I'd be in hell tonight if it wasn't for Jesus. I wouldn't even be alive tonight if it wasn't for Jesus. And Man, I didn't come tonight to lift up Brian, but I sure did come to lift up my Savior. And if you don't get nothing else tonight, I mean, God loaded my wagon. But I tell you what, I appreciate God's goodness and His blessing. good to have my wife and my son and my little girl. And I think my dad, my mama's not here, is she? I'll tell you this, and don't, listen, don't you get scared because I'm giving you time to get to Nehemiah chapter 3. Say my mama today at lunch, and I didn't even bring it up. She said, I just, she said, I feel bad. She said, I just, I'm not going to be able to be there tonight. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't bring it up. I said, well, well, why? She's got a lady that she stays with from time to time. She's got to be there at 9 o'clock. She said, you're preaching. I know there ain't no way I'm going to be there at no 9 o'clock. So uh, they still call me Pharaoh. would never let God's people go. But I'm going to do my best to give you what God gave me. I didn't think I could help you, man. Listen, he could have got anybody else in the world done a better job than I could have done tonight. But listen, I, I've had something on my heart. My crowd knows Nehemiah chapter 4 is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible to get to preach. But Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking. I've had something on my heart for the last little bit, and boy, I couldn't get it off. I wanted to preach on something else, Brother Tim, but I just felt like this is where God wanted us to be. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're in the middle of the road, listen, I believe God's got something for us tonight. If you'll listen, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. Most of the time that I, when I read the Scripture, I am going to have you to stand. So if you found your place, if you would stand with us in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. You're not standing in reverence to me. 
we're standing to reverence this book that I hold in my hand. It's more than just a book. Listen, it's alive. It changed my life, and it'll change your life if you get a hold of it. But as we study our Bible, most of the time, and I begin to preach, a lot of times I'll read the Scripture and then pray, but I, I'm basically preaching on all chapter number 3. There's 32 verses in chapter number 3, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read them all right now. I'm going to read two verses. And I want you to notice with me in verse number 1 of Nehemiah chapter number 3, notice what the Bible said. Then Eliashib, the high priest. Now, you're getting ready to see Eliashib do something really good right here, really great. He's going to be working on the sheep gate. You get to chapter number 13, man, it's a totally different person. I'm going to tell you something, young person, middle-aged folk. You might say, well, preacher, I wouldn't ever fall. Don't you fool yourself. Hey, the Bible said, let a man that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There's, it can happen to anybody, anywhere, and any time if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, that ain't the message, but I want to give you that. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. Notice they sanctified it and set up the doors of it even under the tower of Mia. They sanctified it under the tower of Hananiah. And I want you to notice verse 32, the last verse of chapter number 3, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 3, 32. The Bible said, In between the going up of the corner under the sheep gate, repair the goldsmiths and the merchants. Let's pray. Fathers, we bow, God, again tonight. Lord, just thankful for the opportunity, oh, just to stand behind this sacred desk, God, one more time, and to preach the truth of your word. Now, God, you know every need that's in this building, and I pray for the next few minutes now. Lord, you'd help this preacher to decrease that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Lord, it ain't about me tonight. Now, Lord, what I need from you, Lord, cannot be manufactured. I pray, God, that you'd help us. I pray that you'd lead us and guide us. You know every heart that's in this building tonight. I pray if there's a sinner that came in here tonight that's unsaved, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the good night of salvation. Oh, God, I beg and I plead tonight that you'd zero them on them wherever they are in this church. I pray that you'd save them by your grace and by your power. And I pray for that child of God that may have came in here struggling. Lord, maybe dragging a leg spiritually. I pray, Lord, that they'd get some help from heaven. I pray for the man of God here. Lord, continue to bless this pastor, bless this church. Continue to use them in this community for your honor and your glory. But God, now I pray that you take over this service, have your will and your way, and we're going to go ahead and thank you and praise you for all you do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say it. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated tonight. We've read two verses, and, and listen, don't, don't get uh, uh, too carried away because I am going to preach all the way through chapter number 3, but I'm going to be focusing on some things tonight, and maybe you've seen, it may not be anything new, but there's one thing that I've learned through the years, Brother Tim, and it's this. We learn from repetition, and we learn by, by hearing over and over again. Can I tell you, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ is more than just a story, and I hope it never gets sold to you. It still blesses the fire out of me, and I hope you all understand what I'm talking about over here in Tobaccoville. That ain't too far or Royal Hall. We ain't in Tobaccoville, are we? We're in Royal Hall. So anyhow, you understand what I'm talking about saying getting blessed the fire out of. That's what I get when I think about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight going to be dealing with ten gates out of the book of Nehemiah chapter number three. You can mark them down. You can underline them if you want to. That's what I did in my Bible. You do whatever you please. But in verse number one and in verse number 32, you'll find the sheep gate. In verse number 3, you will find, I love this sign back here, you're going to find the fish gate. Verse number 6, you're going to be introduced to the old gate. Verse number 13, you're going to find the valley gate. 
Verse number 14, you're going to see the dung gate. Now, I've been preaching a series on these gates the last little bit, and, and one of our fellows, and he's here tonight, bless his heart, and, and I, I lit him up Sunday night, and he wasn't even in service. Uh, uh, Brother Tim, uh, Brother, <laughs> Brother Wayne had a colonoscopy on Monday morning, so he missed Sunday night. And I said, well, I'm going to preach tonight on the dung gate in honor of Brother Wayne. Now, some of y'all get that after a while if you've ever had a colonoscopy. But in verse number uh, four, 14, we find the dung gate. Verse number 15, you'll find the fountain gate. Verse number 26, you will find the water gate. Man, I ain't talking about Richard Nixon. Somebody said this. They said, when, and a, lot of, a lot of you ain't even old enough to remember uh, Richard Nixon. I just barely am. I was born in 76, but I remember some of the history and some of the news. But somebody said, well, Richard Nixon uh, couldn't tell the truth. Well, uh, George Washington couldn't tell a lie. Along came Barack Obama, and he didn't know the difference between either one. Amen. <laughs> Think about the, the water gate here in verse number 26. I ain't talking about that mess up there in Washington. You look at the eighth gate that we'll look at tonight, the horse gate. Then the ninth gate is this. It's called the east gate. Now, I really want to get to the ninth gate and the tenth gate. You'll find in verse number 31 the myth Cad, M-I-P-H-K-A-D. And if I'm not pronouncing that right, you'll just have to forgive me. But we're going to be looking at these ten gates. Now, please understand, I understand the context of this passage tonight. These were real, literal gates. And man, when you start talking about a wall in 2019, people start getting nervous. But we're going to be talking about a wall that God's people built there around Jerusalem. But can I say this? We're going to focus in on these literal gates. And they were literal gates. But the wall would have been no good, Brother Gammons, had they not uh, took care of the gates. If the wall had been fine, but there was breaches in there, the enemy could have come in. It was keeping the bad folks out and the good folks in. That's what that wall simulated there. But now think about this when you look back at the history. Now, now let me just, just give me just a little latitude right here, just to be a little introduction and some foundation. When you look at the context of Nehemiah chapter number 3, you'll find that Nehemiah is getting ready to build a wall. When you look at the history of Israel, you will find at this particular time that the people of God have been down in Babylon for 70 years. Now, I don't see how folks make it. Listen, that miss uh, two or three weeks of service in a row. I'm talking about the house of God. But can you imagine... Missing 70 years of worship there in a foreign land down in Babylon. Imagine the condition that they would have went. Well, preacher, why did he end up down there? Because of their sin. Can I still say today, there's consequences to sin. Listen, friend, Jesus loves you, but you need to know that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our only hope is through and by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're all sinners, but there's consequences consequences to sin. And the people of God had been down in Babylon for 70 years. And boy, through the preaching of Zechariah and another prophet by the name of Haggai, you'll find that they stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, during the day and stirred up the, the high priest Joshua. And there was three returns back into the land out of Babylon. The first one was led by Zerubbabel, the governor, and then Joshua, the high priest, was with him. What was their main purpose, preacher? They were to come back in and to build, rebuild the temple. They needed to reinstitute that place of worship. For 70 years, God's people were in shambles, and they were down because of their sin, and they needed to get back to worship. So God raised up a man by Zerubbabel and also Joshua, 
and they came in and their main purpose was to rebuild the temple. You will find history lets us know there was a 57-year gap from the first return to the second return. The second return was led by a man by the name of Ezra. I like to refer to him as the evangelist. And the Bible said that he was a ready scribe. And he came, and, and you'll find where he, he preached unto the people. Well, what was his purpose during the second return? Well, listen, the people be, needed reforming, and, and they needed to return under the covenant obligations that they had with God. God's always been interested in obedience. He could care less with our mechanical mode, with our ritualism. He wants our obedience unto him. And that was Ezra's response responsibility with the second return. Then there was a 12-year gap till the time Nehemiah came on board. And Nehemiah's responsibility was simply to rebuild the wall. You'll find in chapter number 1, and for sake of time I won't read it, but in chapter number 1, you'll find that he was, he was given a message from one of his brethren by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah told him about how the affliction the people were in. Listen, the temple had, had been restarted, and, and, but the people needed reforming, but the walls needed to be built round about. And you'll find where Nehemiah got a burden over the people of God. You know what's missing in a lot of our churches today? Listen, we've got all kinds of technology. We've got this live stream deal too and, and all this technology. I don't understand all that. I'm thankful for technology. But you know what we ought to get back to? We ought to get back to some brokenness and some burden for the people of God and this world in which we live. Oh, listen, Jesus is still going to return one of these days. You know what? God's not called the giraffes and the elephants and the monkeys and the zebras to win the lost. Oh, no. He's called you and I that are saved by the marvelous grace of God to go out in the highways and hedges and win men, women, boys, and girls to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called us to do it. And Nehemiah got a burden. And listen, don't miss this. I'll get to the message in a minute. When you think about this in chapter number 1, about the last verse, it lets us know that Nehemiah was not a king. Nehemiah was not a prince. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was the king's cupbearer. That was a trusted position. You didn't want the king. Wouldn't, the king of Persia wouldn't just want anybody to, to test what he was drinking. He wanted somebody that was trustworthy so he wouldn't be poisoned. A lot of folks say, well, preacher, if I could just get a better position, then I'd serve God. No, you ought to just serve God where you are. Yeah, man, you ought to just bloom where you planted. Nehemiah wasn't a king. He didn't have a, a great elevated position, although he was in the king's house as a king cupbearer. But you'll find that God put a burden on his heart. Oh, and you'll find, oh, in chapter number 4 and verse number 6 that the people had a mind to work. And you'll find in chapter 6 and verse number 15 that in 52 days they rebuilt those walls and those gates around Jerusalem. They didn't have John Deere tractors. They didn't have caterpillar dozers. But I'll tell you what, they had. They had the long-reaching arm of God and the help of the Lord. You know what You know what? Faith Community Baptist Church needs tonight? You know what Woodland Baptist Church needs tonight? Oh, we need to power God. You might say, well, preacher, that's a long time ago. Hey, our God ain't dead. The same God that helped Nehemiah, the same God that helped Elisha, the same God that helped Elijah can help you and I tonight. But you and I need to get a burden. Need to get a burden. Now, these ten gates, that's just a little introduction. These ten gates. I want to show you these ten gates. I want to preach an application. I know they were literal gates. But do you realize there's a great picture? The ten gates of the Christian life. There's many different stages that you and I will go through in this life once we're saved. And I believe there's a beautiful picture and an illustration found right here in Nehemiah chapter number 3. Now I want you to notice the first one. 
Look in verse 1, we read it, and verse number 32. You'll find the sheep gate. You'll see that this is the only gate that was sanctified. You say, when I preach you what sanctified got to do with anything, that word sanctified means set apart. This was a special place. Now, this sheep gate is where they would bring in the sheep into the walls of Jerusalem to go to the temple, and they would be sacrificed. That's what it was used for. They were to come in right there at the sheep gate. Well, now, preacher, what in the world has that got to do uh, with the Christian life? It's got everything to do with the Christian life. That sheep gate is a picture, a foreshadowing, a type, if you will, in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about it right now in John chapter number 1 and verse number 29 when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now it's interesting, is it not? He didn't start with a fish gate. He didn't start with a dung gate. He didn't start with the old gate. All those gates are important. Oh no, friend, he started with the sheep gate. You say, Preacher, why is that? Because Nehemiah understood Levitical law and he understood the blood system and listen it's always been by the blood it always will be by the blood it don't matter if we like it it don't matter if we believe it we ain't going to change it you can't change it God still honors the blood in Hebrews 9 22 it said without shedding of blood there's no remission can I just say how in the world do you enter into the Christian life you can't go through Muhammad you can't go through uh, Buddha or Confucius or Joseph Smith's son you got to go through him by the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Hey, Jesus didn't stutter in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 13. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there at, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus didn't say he was the way. He said, I'm the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 14, 6, you'll find in Acts 4 verse number 12. You say, preacher, what was the early church preaching? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Nehemiah started with the sheep gate. You and I all, that's the only way we can enter in to a relationship with God through the forgiveness and the pardon of sin that's only found in His dear darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we want to make much of the cross. You know what? I thank God for the pulpit. I do, man. It's in the Bible. I like the pulpit. You know what? I like the communion table. And I look for yours, brother. I, didn't, I know there's one around here. But most of the time, they got one on the front that says, This do in remembrance of me, does it not? Well, thank God for that communion table. What about right here? Now, listen now. They, some of y'all, you know why you're going to heaven? You know why you're going to heaven tonight? Because the man of God got up here one day. And he got to preaching what thus saith the Word of God. And God done his part with the Holy Ghost conviction. Came to where you were, showed you your lost condition, and loved on you. And let you know regardless of where you was and what you'd be. He said, hey, my blood is sufficient to save you and forgive you of all the sin you've ever committed. And you got up, you slipped up out of your seat, maybe over here, or maybe in the old church where Woodland was, and you found your place around an old-fashioned altar. Don't forsake the altar. 
Oh, in Elijah's day, the altar was in need of repair. We don't need to forsake the altar, but as important as the pulpit, the communion table, and the altar is, I'm going to tell you, all three of them are in vain if you don't have the cross. Can I just say tonight, if people, if sinners are going to get saved, you say, preacher, you still believe in the preaching of the cross? Yeah, I believe the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18 said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's a lot of folks who don't like. They call it slaughterhouse religion. And they say, man, I don't want to deal with that blood. Can I say this? Those ladies, the, the nuns just sung just a few minutes ago about but for the blood. Think about down in Exodus chapter number 12. God told them exactly what they needed to do. Listen, they had to kill that little lamb. They had to get some, some hyssop and they had to dip it in the blood. And they had to put it on the doorpost. The blood had to be applied. I bet you they might have been some smart alecks that day. Amen. Probably some. That's one thing about humans. We don't change much. A lot, a lot of folks say we're getting better. Are you kidding me? We're getting worse. You think about this in Exodus chapter number 12. There's probably some that said, well, you know what? That's just too messy. I, I don't think we ought to do that. And they might have been sincere in their belief. You might be here tonight and you might sincerely believe that God's going to let you get in on your good works, friend. Don't you fool yourself. You'll not get there on your good works. You'll not get there on your good deeds. I don't care how many times you go into the baptistry or into the river or into the pond. You can get baptized in every pond and river and creek in Yakin County and in Forsyth County in the state of North Carolina and still die lost in your sin. The only way I'm going to heaven, the only way you're going to heaven is to know Jesus Christ in a person. Away. Boy, that's a sheep gate. That's a sheep gate. You can't get into the Christian life any other way. Thank God for the sheep gate. Now, I've got to move on. Second gate is this, verse number 3. You'll notice the fish gate. Now, as you study history and you study around the walls of Jerusalem, you, you can check up on some of the, the historians. They'll let you know that the fish gate, it was a literal gate, where, where fishermen would come in from the Mediterranean Sea, sometimes from the Sea of Galilee. Brother Tim, they'd bring their fish in through that gate into the market. We know it was a real literal gate. Well, how does that apply to the Christian life? Look up here behind me. You know why that fish is there? Because you know what? Once we get saved and born into the family of God and we become part of the church family, God did not save us to sit, soak, and sour on a church pew somewhere. God saved us. Again, He didn't call other animals to win the lost. He called you and I. And I believe in the ministry of multiplication. You say, what's that, preacher? Well, you get saved, you go tell somebody else how to get saved. Then they get saved and they go tell somebody, we better not ever lose that vision. Oh, listen, you ought to continue to knock on doors. You ought to continue to soul win. Do everything. You Listen, whatever the cost, man, win men, women, boys, and girls to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the main mission of the church, can I say. When Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse number 18, He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and go preach the gospel to every creature. That's what He told us to do. Well, in Mark 16, He said, Go preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, He said, Go preach the gospel. Go do it. Baptize them, teach them. That's what we're supposed to do. You'll find this in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 19. When Jesus came to his disciples, he said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. What's this fish talking about? It's talking about evangelism. 
Hey, young people, middle-aged folk, once we come in through the sheep gate, and we can't get there any other way, but once we come in through the sheep gate, we got to come to the fish gate and evangelism. Try to win somebody else. Well, we don't need to minimize that. We need to maximize. We need to major on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and sinners getting saved. But what do what fishermen do? Fishermen go to catch literal fish. I love to fish. I don't get to fish much, but I love to fish. I'd rather shoot a big deer. That's what I, I really, really like to do that. Hope ain't no animal activist in here, is it? But I, I love hunting. But I love fishing. But me and my son, my little boy, well, he ain't little anymore. He's 15, soon to be 16. But it wasn't long ago, he was right here. And he's getting ready to get his license here for a while. Well, I just noticed the last time we went fishing. I've got a little, I don't know, 12-foot boat we get out there and fish on. And we've always had plenty of room to fish. Well, he's 6'1", 230 now. Amen. He used to be just a little squirt. Now he's a big boy. Well, you know what we found out? I'm going somewhere with this. You hang with me. I thought, man, he had stuff piled over on me. I had stuff piled on him. I made fish bite. Well, I couldn't even get to it, and I'm missing fish. You know why? I had too much stuff in the boat. You know why we don't catch many fish? Yeah, man, spiritually, we got two. I mean, listen, I come to be mean, and I just come to be honest. And listen, I need this just as much as anybody else. Sometimes we get so much stuff in our boat that we're not fishing in. Hey, think about this, and I'm going to move on. Listen, I'm going to hit this, and I'm going to go to the next one, if the Lord let me. What if we spend as much time in the Bible as we do with our cell phone? <laughs> now, y'all might be different over here, but I doubt it. Last time I checked, we all made out of the same stuff. Now listen, I ain't preaching down to nobody. Listen, I'm the least among you. But understand, I came over here to try to help you. If we spend as much time in our Bible as we did on the computer screen or with ourselves, what kind of difference and what kind of impact could we make in this world if we devoted half of the time that we put into our phone into winning lost souls, man, you'd turn Royal Hall upside down, we'd turn East Bend upside down. Boy, you better stick with the fish gate. I've got to move. The sheep gate. These ten gates, it's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. The sheep gate represents Christ. He's the only way. You think about the fish gate, that represents evangelism. But notice the third gate. I love the third gate, verse number 6. He talks about the old gate. The old gate. Well, preacher, now what in the world has that got to do with the Christian life? Listen to me, young people especially young people and middle-aged folk too. There's going to be a time in your life, even after you get saved, you're going to be at a crossroads. And which path are you going to take? I'm talking to saved folk now. Because you look at Jeremiah, you studied Jeremiah out, 13 times he talked about backsliding. 53 times he talked about sin and iniquity. Think about this. Fourteen times he talked about them being scattered. Fifty-one times he talked about captivity was coming. Forty-seven times he said, you're going to return to the land. You're going to return. All those messages that he presented was about sin. Now I'm going to tell you what the people did during Jeremiah's day. They had some hirelings. They had some false preachers. 
some fake priests that come on. Jeremiah saying, hey, you better repent, you better return, you better stay off this road you're going. And you know what they did? They said, oh, peace, peace, peace. They came to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, hey, we found a new way. You know what God told them? Jeremiah 6, 16, thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Oh, oh, listen, you and I better be asking for those old paths. But don't miss this, church. Don't you miss it. I'm talking to believers. He said, stand ye individually. i got to make that decision. you got to make that decision. Your youth pastor can't make it for you. Your pastor can't make it for you. Your mama can't make it for you. And your daddy can't make it. Your husband or your wife individually as you stand ye in the way. Ways. You know what ways is? That's plural. I didn't major in English, but I do know that's plural. That means there's more than one way. Imagine this. An individual standing. Stand ye in the ways, God said. So you're standing cross or you got one going this way, one going that way, that way, and that way. Which way are you going to go? God said stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old pass. <laughs> the old pass. Son, they still some things that will work tonight. They still some things that should never change. But what I hold my hand, listen, I'm not ashamed of this King James Bible. I ain't going to beat it over somebody's head, but listen, I ain't going to back up on it. I thank God for the Word of God. That's what I got in. Oh, listen, I thank God for the convictions that were. You think about the fundamentals of the faith. There's some absolutes. Now, listen, I don't believe in majoring on minor things. I believe in preaching the Word of God, but understand this. There's some things that we should never butt back up on. We should never buzz. Listen, when it comes to this Bible, I believe this Bible is inerrant. Listen, I believe it's inspired. Hey, God didn't say part of it's inspired. He said all of it was. And hey, we better get that settled deep down. There's all kinds of folks in religious circles today, even in Baptist churches that are, that are debating whether the Bible is right. Oh, listen, it don't matter if I believe it. It don't matter if you believe it. Can I just say God's forever sailed it? That is, boy, that's what makes all the difference in the world. In somebody's life is the Bible. Hey, I still believe in the virgin birth. When you think about that old gate, I think about some absolutes that we don't need to back up on. I'm talking about the bodily resurrection of Christ. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. Oh, no. Oh, hmm. Hey, think about this. I didn't even hit that when we was on the sheep gate. Oh, listen, when those little sheep would come in and they would bring them in to the temple there, they came in, Brother Tim, and they never went back out. Can I say that our lamb, oh, he went in. And they listen, he gave his, shed his blood and gave his life. And no man took his life from him. Hey, the Bible said he bowed down his head and he gave up the ghost. And they placed him in a barred tomb. Hallelujah to God. For three days and three days later, death couldn't hold him. Hey, the world couldn't hold him. This old corrupt flesh couldn't hold him. And tonight I don't serve a dead God. I serve a risen Savior that's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Bodily resurrection. I believe in the reality of miracles. You know what? When a sinner gets saved, you know what that is? That's a miracle. That's something supernatural that only God can do. The world says, well, if we can get them in it. Well, I hope it don't fall off here. They say, well, uh, the world says, hey, we put them through this 12-step program, and boy, they'll get better. They say, well, if we can just give them enough pills, you know what they need. They need to get hooked on Jesus. I'm telling you, he's the one that can change my life. He can change your life, regardless of what you've done, where you've been. Listen, it, what a good night it would be at this team camp meeting, whether you're young or whether you're old. If you You've never been born again. Hey, today is a day of salvation. Boy, I'm thankful for all that the Lord does. But you and I need to stand and ask for those old paths. 
There's some convictions we need to stand on. I've got to move on, but I'll say this and I'm done. On this one. Yeah, I'm on this one. I'm still on introduction. Listen, I ain't going to preach for 15, but for 15 minutes. I ain't. But just let me tell you when I'm going to start, all right? But now think about this. A few years ago, Brother Tim, I had a, had a young lady that, that had come into the church, and she actually grew up in the church. Good lady, grew up, and she knew what was right and wrong, preacher. She knew what this Bible said. And she got out of church for a while and, and, and had, had, some, had a, some children out of wedlock and just, just a lot of bad issues. Listen, I, I'm not demeaning her. I'm not knocking her. I'm just, I'm just trying to state an example here. Just messed up her life. Listen to me, young ladies, young men too now. And she came, finally one, I hadn't seen her in a long time, she called and she said, Preacher, I need to talk to you. I'm really struggling with some things. I said, I'll be glad to. But I want to make sure my wife was there and she was. Yeah, we'll forget she came in that day and, man, she had a fellow and I, you know, I'm not, listen, can I just say this? There's people that don't look like us, they don't act like us, they don't talk like us, but guess what? They need Jesus. Yeah, man. So I ain't preaching down to him. I'm going to tell you, you could tell this fellow lived a rough life. And there he was sitting with her, and I said, well, how can I help you? What's going on? She said, well, preacher, she said, I, I, I thought I was saved, but I, I'm so confused. I don't, even, I don't even believe God. I don't even believe the, the, the existence of God anymore. I'm questioning this, and I'm questioning that, and, and I never convinced somebody they're saved. Hey, that's between you and God. Hey, man. Don't ever try to say, oh, you got saved way back yonder. No, the Holy Ghost will let them know if they, if they need salvation. Hey, Amen. Yes, but you'll find when I began to talk to her, she was just, just confused as a yo-yo. And I asked her, I said, well, I didn't ask her. I actually finally focused in on him because he's just sitting there wiggling like a... Now, listen, he's in my house. I'm in the house of God. And I wouldn't be worth my salt. I said, well, sir, I don't even remember what his name was. I said, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, he said yeah. And I turned to say her, he said, no, no, let me back up. He said, I, I recant that. He said, I recant that a long time. He said, I don't believe in God. He said, I don't believe in any kind of laws. He said, I don't believe in military. I don't believe in any kind of... He said, I believe a man ought to just, just do whatever he wants to do. That's what he told me. You know what I did? I said, get rid of him. Hey, man, where's my wife at? She's at... Oh, she's done less. She done got scared of us preaching. She done left. She wants to see me fall off pulpit. I said, get rid of him. She said, I'm saved. He said, oh, I recant. I, I don't, listen, I don't believe in God, don't believe in any of that stuff. I said, yeah, you need. He said, you mean to tell me that because I don't believe, and he called it garbage. Boy, that really burnt me up. He said, because I don't believe that garbage, you're telling me that, that, that she's got to get rid of me? I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 14. said, not to be unequally yoked together. Verse number 17 said, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Amen. You know what's happened today, and it's crept into churches, Brother Tim. I know you've seen it. I've seen it as well. I'm talking about some of our good godly ladies and our good godly men. Them guys or them girls come on, and they, they, them fellas just fall, just puppy love. Hey, man. Oh, I love her. If they ain't saved, you ain't got no business dating them. Amen. Amen. 
You say, well, preacher, you don't know how handsome he is. I tell you, you better check his salvation. You better check his spirit. You better check his sweat and make sure he's going to work. You better check his sweetness. You better check his spirit. If I ain't already said that, there's a good checklist. You ought to go down there. But if they ain't saved, you don't need to deal with it. Now, listen, I ain't talking about just... just ostracize yourself from and getting away from them. Listen, you won't try to win them to the Lord. But listen, you have no good. And I'm not going to back up on that. Those old past you, because here's what's happened. Why in the world did God put in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8? He said, beware. Now, what do we think of when we think beware? Man, when I was in the industry a few years ago, I would go into homes. And still, dude, I'm still scared of dogs today, but I've learned the big ones scare me worse, but the little ones are the ones that will bite you when you turn your back on them. But you know what? When you see a, a sign that says, Beware of the dog, guess what? You're looking, right? Be alert. God said, Colossians 2 and verse number 8, Listen now, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Yeah, man. There's a lot of philosophy out there today. It's in our schools, public schools, the different things, and your friends. Well, everybody else is doing it. Hey, listen, just because everybody's going to put their head up underneath a tire and roll up, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. I'm not going to do it. Hey, listen, there's some old paths that you and I need to go, and we've got to go to the old gate, and I've got to move on to the fourth gate. You notice the sheep gate, verse 1 and verse 32. Hey, he start, listen, he started with the sheep gate, and he ends with it. Do you realize Jesus is Alpha and Omega? The beginning and the end. The first and the last. It's about, it starts and it ends with Jesus. Then the fish gate talks about evangelism. Boy, i got to move. The old gate, it deals with, with truth. There's some absolutes that we've got to get. Let me give you this and I'm going to move on to my fourth. I, I told, I'm trying to hurry. My mom was right. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 or verse number 17 said all, didn't say part of it, said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, is that not what it says? Now, do you realize those are some truths as you get into the crossroads of life? Preacher, which way am I going to go? You better follow that book that I'm holding and your man of God stands up and preaches and your youth pastor preaches. You better listen because they love you. They're trying to keep you from a road, listen, that leads to heartache and distress. But you know what that doctrine is? That's what's right. You know what that reproof is? That's how to deal with what's not right. You know what correction is? That's how to make it right. You know what instruction is? That son, that's how to keep it right. And boy, it comes to the old gate and truth. We got now. Listen, watch this fourth gate, verse number thirteen. You'll find the valley gate. Now listen to me carefully. There's some folks on TV, especially one got a bunch of hair, a whole lot more than I do. Big shiny teeth and likes to stand up and smile all the time. Listen, I ain't throwing rocks. I'm just telling you the truth. You know what the message is? Oh, just come to Christ. You'll never have another problem. You kidding me? That ain't the God of the Bible. You're telling me Jeremiah, one that, and, and this preacher, I know that God has helped a lot of people through Jeremiah. But as I read Jeremiah, I don't see where he had one convert. I see where that Ethiopian came, and, and when he's down that well, he, he cast down them rags down and pulled him out. But I don't see where Jeremiah had one convert. He was doing the will of God and was beaten and was in stocks and was threw down into that broken cistern or that well. There wasn't even any water. There was, there was muck and mire, and he sunk down in that stuff. I Listen to me. I don't care how close you are to the Lord. You can read your Bible every day. 
You can come to the house of God every time the doors are open. Valleys will still come. Amen. Valleys will still come to good godly people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6 says this, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He says that our trials are more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. You know what they tell me, and, and I've never done this, but I've read about those that, that smelt, I guess you call it smoking or smelt, they smelt down gold. Oh, they smelt down silver. They say the way that they get it to its purest form. They heat that stuff up and get it so hot. And then all the impurities is going to come to the top. And as it gets hot, it comes to the top, and they've got this thing that, and I don't know what it's called, but, but they, they scrape it off. And they get all those impurities, Brother Tim, and they lay it out. And then the guy that's doing the smelt, he'll look at it again, and it, as it continues to do its, do its thing with heating, there'll be some more impurities. And finally, they tell me that those folks that do that, they're never really satisfied until they can see their reflection in that gold. Or in that silver. Preacher, what's the purpose of valleys in my life? Can I give you something real quick and I'm going to move on? In Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 28, one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It said, we know that all things work together for good. Let me stop and correct something right there. He didn't say all things were good. But he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But don't you miss verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. Don't be afraid of predestination. Predestination never has anything to do with a lost man. At predestination, we're predestined to be conformed unto his Son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that God sends valley experiences in our life to make us more like Jesus? He allows us to see some things that need to get fixed in our lives. Amen. Amen. I'm going to move on. Let me say there's man-made storms and there's God-made storms. What do you mean, just an example, and I'll hit this and go? Jonah chapter number 1, do you realize that he had a man-made storm? I realize God was the one that sent the tempest. But there had never been a storm if he had just reminded God went on and preached to them Ninevites. And because he disobeyed, God sent him in. You're talking about he was in a deep place. He was in the belly of a whale three days. Yeah, man. And God used it as discipline. Then there's some that's just following God, and God... The Lord raised up a storm. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Jesus told his disciples to get on the ship. They obeyed him. They followed the Lord. You'll find where that tempest came. And you know what he said? Where's your faith? The valleys that come in our life, and please don't miss this, the valleys that come in our life is always for our benefit, but for his glory. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of things I don't know and I don't understand. But I can tell you this. <laughs> Boy, God will reveal himself down there. Hey, he wants to conform us. But he wants to just show up and help us. If it wasn't for those low points, listen, it, Christian life, and I use, this, I use this skill, Brother Tim, all the time. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but this is what I use. I throw my hand up here and I say, you know what, we ain't always on the mountain. But thank God we ain't always in the valley. Sometimes we're in between. But you know what, when you'll grow with the Lord more, oh, listen, you got money in your pocket. You got good health. I mean, you got a good job. you got everything working great. Sometimes you'll have the tendency to just sort of kick back. Maybe slack up on your Bible reading. Maybe slack up on your prayer life. 
Maybe slip out and, and do four or five. I don't see how, many, how people have so much vacation. A lot of folks don't like me saying this, but you know what happens? A lot of folks just lay out of the house of God. Hey, lady, tell me what she's pretty. I don't like you saying that. Well, you, you can't sugarcoat it. Hey, Amen. But you know what happens when we get down to those low points in our lives? That's when we get a little closer to the Lord. And God reveals His presence to you. And there's things that you wouldn't know about if you hadn't went through those valleys. That wall right there, the valley gate, they tell us that it was at the lowest point, the lowest point on the wall. And as you went out that valley gate, don't miss this now, I'll just flip over to chapter 2, just say, just flip over a page or so. They say that as you went out of that gate, on the north side, and don't miss this now, as you head out both the valley gate and the dung gate, because you'll find there, in, I believe it's verse 13, where it talks about that there's a thousand cubits on the wall from the valley gate to the dung gate. You'll find the difference between the two. That's about five, six hundred yards, however you want to figure that. So it's not a great distance. They say that the valley gate and the dung gate both lead to a place eventually that's called the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now in Second Chronicles, we find two kings of Israel that done some un, I mean, ungodly things. One was by the name of Ahaz, and the other one was by the name of Manasseh. And you know what they did? They caused their children to cross into the fire and to be killed. They were serving pagan gods. That's how far they had got away from God in the valley of the son of Hinnom. In that son of Hinnom, that's where there was, it's, it's the garbage dump of Jerusalem. So called Gienna in the New Testament. And you'll find there in that place, there was, they said, it's where the worm dieth not. It's continual fire, and everybody would take their trash down there. That valley gate would lead down in there. Now, on your way down out of the valley gate, they say, that to your north would be Mount Zion. Now, anytime you see Mount Zion, don't miss this now. Anytime you see Mount Zion in the Bible, that's always referring to the Lord. You think, man, you think about Zion. I think about those songs of primitive quartet saying, one of these days I'm going to stand on top of Mount Zion. You, that's always a picture of God. But as you go down through that, to the north you had Mount Zion. But on the other side there was a place called the Hill of Evil Counsel. Yeah, the Hill of Evil Counsel. Well, preacher, what's the big deal with that? Think about it. Don't you miss this now. Church, you need this. I need this. When you go through those valley gates, you're going to have Mount Zion on one side, and you're going to have the eel, uh, uh, the evil hill of, 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 of whatever I said just a minute ago. I done forgot that last word. What? Starts with a C. Council. That's the evil hill council. Thank you, brother. Evil hill of council. When you get down in those valleys, I promise you, you'll have two voices. What are you talking about, preacher? Oh, God will speak to you down in the valley. Listen to me, young people. I've been pastor 17 years, and I ain't figured out nothing yet, but I know this. I've seen a lot of folks go through the valley, and they turn away from God. Those valleys either make you better, or they'll make you bitter. When you go down through that valley, God will be speaking to you, trying to comfort, trying to woo you to his side. But can I tell you, the devil will be on your ear too. Well, preacher Tim, if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Brother, if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Am I telling it right? If you've ever been there, you know I'm telling it right. 
You think about the psalmist, Psalm 73. He began to look around. He's going one through one of those valley experiences. He said, my foot had well nigh slipped when I looked around and I was envious at those evil workers that, that seemed like they were prospering and going on. And boy, I got to that place until I went into the sanctuary. I understood their end. But you're going to go through some of those valleys. Notice with me right here in chapter 2. Chapter 2. Do you realize that when Nehemiah began, this is him, and if I don't get done with the rest of these, I'll quit when God says quit. But I'll say this. You know where Nehemiah started? He didn't start at the sheep gate. He didn't start at the dung gate. He didn't start at the fish gate. You know where he started? He started at the valley gate. Notice Nehemiah 2 and verse 13. Watch this. And I went out by night. It's dark, son. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall, and turned back and entered in, or entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. What he did, he started at the valley gate, Brother Tim, went all the way around and came back to the valley gate. Preacher, what's that got to do with anything? He done it at night, which represents the darkest time in our life when those valleys come. And you know what? When we get down in those places, always remember this, please. When you get down in those low points in your life, don't, don't get bitter. Please don't. Get better. Say, God, what are you trying to show me right here? What do I need to get rid of in my life? Because see, this is what the valley would do. It will humble us. And it'll bring us down low. And until God gets us to that place, we don't even see our faults. Right. Young people, I'm going to tell you, you know what my God was? And I was saved. I was saved. But when I was about 20 years old, Brother Tim, basketball became my God. Now, can you imagine me playing? I used to have hair. Hey, man. I love basketball. One January, and I don't know what it was, Brother Tim, I was saved. I know I was saved. But God got a hold of my heart. And I knew I was just, it was one of those deals where, you know what, I sort of went to church when, when it was convenient. When I felt like it, I went. But when I went, I wasn't engaged. And I didn't really care what, the, what they were saying about it. Really, really wasn't concerned too much about what the preacher was saying. But there was something working on the inside of my heart before I ever got to the house of God. God began to draw me. And I sit in the back of that church on the back pew. Man, when the, I can't tell you what the preacher preached, but man, when the invitation was given, I think they played through one verse and it's like I had semen in my feet. But I knew something wasn't right between me and God. I was saved, but there was no fellowship. I had no, I had no real joy and I, I had no power in my life. Boy, when I got that one foot in the aisle, son, it's like the chains had been set free. It's like I floated down to the aisle. And man, when I knelt on the left side of that altar next to that pulpit, and I, listen, I wasn't playing games. I was serious with God. At 20 years old, I said, God, I'm giving it all to you. Less than a month later, very early on in February, I was playing basketball down here at Old Richmond Gym. How many of you know where that's at? I'm talking about the old gym. I guess it's still there. Man, me and my buddies, we was down and we was traveling around everywhere playing basketball. It wasn't a church night. 
I hadn't, and you know what? I, I didn't miss a service after I, after I got right with God. Hey, man. Preacher didn't have to come knock on my door and say, Preacher, where are you? Or, or, or Brian, where are you at? We sure have missed you at the house of God. When I got right with God, I was there when the doors were open. Hey, man. I ain't boasting about me. I'm boasting about Jesus. God put that desire in my heart. But I'm playing basketball one night. And, man, I go up for a rebound, and I feel something in my back, Brother Tim. Felt it. I don't know what it was. I just kept on playing. I'm 20 years old. I kept on playing. Listen to me, young people. Kept on playing and, and doing that. I said, man, that sure is sore. Well, I got in the truck, and I was riding with a friend of mine, and driving all the way back. At that time, I lived right across from Friendship Baptist Church. Me and my wife hadn't been married long. About a year or two, I guess, yeah, maybe a year or so. And uh, I remember stepping out. I, it seemed like it was okay, but when I stepped out of that truck, I went to my knees in pain. I thought, what is it like somebody had a knife in my back? And it was a ruptured disc. In between that L5 and that S bone, whatever that is. God laid me, and I, if you'd have told me that then, Brother Tim, I'd probably smack somebody. But you know what God did? He put me flat on my back for a month and a half. I know it without a doubt. Listen, I still ain't much tonight, but I wouldn't be where I am tonight had it not have been for that valley experience. Because in that time, I was so busy, and I think he took one of my loves away before it became a hindrance by putting me down on my back. And when I was laying down, Brother Tim, I, I, I could, all I could do was look up. And it was during that low point where I saw what I needed to fix and God began to mold and begin to make. Now watch this. Now you know what the valleys will do for you? It'll reveal what's wrong in your life. Because see, it, it takes pride all the way. Oh yeah, when everything's going good, you don't really see the faults. But when you get down, man, and God lowers you down in that place, you can see what needs to be fixed. Here in the valley... Nehemiah went down and he went by night and it was dark, but guess what? He saw what needed to get fixed. That's the only survey that I see that he had. He went around in the dark, yet he could still... You say, preacher, it's dark in my life. Listen, God might be trying to increase your faith. It might be discipline. I have no idea. Oh, but just say, God, what are you trying to show me? And he'll show you what you need to get rid of. Well, what do I do next, preacher? Notice verse 14. Verse number 14, I want to introduce you to the dung gate. You know what the dung gate was? The dung gate was where you went out and you took all the trash out. The valley gate will show what's wrong with your life. But then listen, you've got to get these before you move over to the fountain gate because it's going to get good here in just a minute, son. You just hang with me. You give me, you give me a few. I'll let you know when I've when I got 15 minutes, you hang with me. Hey, if everybody's still all right, say amen. Listen, I, I'm just giving you my heart. Listen, I want to be a help to somebody tonight. You think about the dung gate. That's where you get emptied out. Amen. You know what? As we walk through this world, we're going to get defiled. We sure are. You need that daily cleansing. Well, preacher, what if I don't get it out of my life? Well, listen, 1 John 1, 9, written to believers. But it said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you realize that there's some things that are just absolutely sucking the spiritual life out of us and we don't even know it? I mean, it's killing us. 
Think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 28. You'll find where he, he, he floated to the Isle of Melita and there some, some uh, floated on boards and pieces and Paul was not a lazy man. And the Bible said that because of the present rain and because of the cold that they built a fire. And this wasn't a little bitty old fire. Son, this was a bonfire. That was at least 276. That ain't even counting the barbarian people on the island of Melita. You'll find that he gathered some sticks and he threw it on the fire. And as soon as he did, a viper reached out, Brother Travis, and latched on his arm. All the people looked around and said, Man, he's going to die. They recognized it. Wasn't. A lot of liberals say, Well, it was a poisonous thing. Yes, it was a poisonous thing. All the people looked around at the aisle and they said, Man, he's going to die. He must be a great sinner. But you know what Paul did? The Bible said in verse number 5 of Acts 28 that he shook off the beast into the fire and he felt no harm. But don't miss this. As long as that viper was attached, it was pumping that venom in his veins. Amen. You better listen to me, young people. You better listen to me, middle-aged fellow. Everybody better listen to me. There's some things that if you're going to walk with God, there's some junk we're going to have to get out of our lives. There's some things you and I are going to have to shake off. Hey, how many of you like rat hunting? Anybody ever been rat hunting? Anybody ever been? Man, ain't nobody been... Did I see a hand up there? I see a hand over here. I guess not. Over here, somebody. All right, we got one over here been rat hunting. That ain't Barry, is it? Man, this place, no, it's not. Man, this place, I thought it was somebody I knew. Let me tell you something. I'm going somewhere with it. When I was in Wilkes County, y'all going to get after Tim, you're going to say, man, what in the world did you get that crazy nut down here for? They ain't nothing like rat hunting. Man, you get up there in them chicken houses and they clean them out. Man, it is a joy in my life. Somebody called and said, hey, hey, preacher, we're getting ready. When I passed it, they said, hey, we're getting ready to clean out this chicken house. We got rats running everywhere. Woo-hoo, man, I'm ready to go. Load up my, man, I was like wide herp. Get my 22 and had some rats shot. We even got the 12, or even the 410 out. Garrett's just a little fella. Let me tell you, boy, y'all appreciate this. Hey, listen, please, y'all been so kind. Y'all soaking this up, so just hang with me. We'd go and it would be it would be light when we'd start shooting. And many rats, I'm talking thousands of them, son. I'm talking bigger than squirrels. They were so many that we had to put duct tape around our britches because they were trying to run up our britches legs. Man, what they did, they had some old corn. I hope we ain't got no no animal rights. And again, I apologize if we do. It's all humane. They didn't none of them suffer, I promise you. And man, we were sitting there and and the rats got used to it, and it got dark, so we had to turn the lights off. Boy, after a while, you'd feel them about five minutes away. You'd feel one run by, run by over here. Turn that spotlight off. Boom, you know. But there was one day that Garrett, I guess he's in school or something, I had to wait for him. And I said, man, I, I don't want to wait. I want to go down and shoot some rats. So I had my, all I had was my 22 and preacher. I went down. I'm going somewhere with this, you hang on. I went down there, and I had that 22. And just as soon as I got to the chicken house, I realized that I forgot my safety glasses. I said, well, I'm just going to be here about five or ten minutes, and I'll go back and get Garrett. Man, I went into the chicken house. Just as soon as I went in, there come one of them old nasty rats, and he jumped up on the side. Boom! Wide earth style. First shot, son. It's like somebody hit me in the eye with a sledgehammer. I thought, oh, I knew exactly what happened. I could feel my eyes swelling. So I 
put the pistol back in my holster, and I went back out, and I could just barely get my eye open, preacher. And I seen I had a couple holes right here in the eye. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I called my wife. She's down yeah, and She said, well, you're going to have to go to the, to the eye doctor. So I drove, and, man, I could just feel that thing throbbing. Mean, it's killing me. I go in, and, you know, they put you in there, and one of them death lock things where they hold up your eyelids. He said, yep, I see it. I said, well, you see what? He said, you got two pieces of scrapnel in your eye. He said, if it had been in, that, in the color part, you'd have, been, you'd have been done. But it's in the white. And he put a drop in there. And honest, I don't know what this thing was. You know, at Christmas time, Mom and Daddy used to get us these nuts. And we had cracked those nuts. And there was some kind of a nut pick. I don't know if that's the name of it or what. I mean, it's like a, you know what I'm doing? But go like steel, man, with a big pointer thing on the end. And I'm sitting there, and I said, well, I said, what are you doing? He said, i got to get that out. And I said, can you put me to sleep? No. No, we can't put you to sleep. I said, well, what if I don't get that out? He said, it'll kill you. So get it out. I said, am I going to feel anything? He said, no. And I said, if you're lying to me, I'm going to punch you. I said, I'm a preacher, but I'm going to punch you. Sure enough, I didn't feel a thing, but boy, you could see that thing coming. But he said, if I don't get it out, it could kill you. And I tell you, there's things that's killing us all around. And boy, God sends us through the valley gate to show us what we need to fix. And then we need to take a stroll down to the dung gate, and that's where we get emptied out. Now listen, right here, it's going to get good, son. So you hang right here. I'm going to move like lightning. You'll find right here, once you come through the valley gate and you see what needs to get fixed, then you go down to the dung gate and you get emptied out. Oh, you're ready now for the fountain gate. Found in verse number 15. You say, what in the world is a fountain preacher? Somebody says, well, I believe it's the Word of God. I don't believe it's the Word of God. I believe according to what Jesus said in John chapter number 7, and I want to read it. John chapter 7, verse 37. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. You know what that water he's talking about? You know what that fountain is? I believe that's the Spirit of God. You know why a lot of God's people can't get filled up? Because first of all, they, they hadn't really realized that they got some needs that needs to get fixed. They've never been down to the dung gate and got emptied out. you got so much other junk in our lives that we can't get filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. Can I tell you right now, hey, listen to Ephesians 5 and verse number 18. He said, be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When you think about that fella grabs a hold of that Bud Dummer and that Miller Low Life, you know what he's doing. And he begins to sip on that. Hey, son, you need to know that he's living the influence of alcohol. He'll walk a little different. He'll talk a little different. He'll act a little bit different. He'll behave a little bit different. But oh, listen, if you'll lay that junk down and get a dose of the ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ and get filled with the Spirit of God and start living under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, oh, it'll help you walk better. It'll help you talk better. It'll make you live better. I'm telling you, it'll help your family. It'll help your church. It'll help your preacher. Oh, if you could get some folks just get full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you. That's a picture of the fountain gate. You look at New Testament theology, there's two things, two purposes of being filled. One was to withstand the circumstance. What's an example of that? Preach with Stephen. The Bible said Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost. He's stoned. 
You think I'm rough? You think Brother Tim's rough? You know what Stephen said in Acts 7.41? He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers do so do ye. You know what they did? They gnashed on him with his teeth and they, they stoned him. You'll find Stephen being full of the Holy Ghost. Lifted up his eyes, Brother Tim, unto heaven. He's seen the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know what he said? As they rocked him to sleep, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. How could he do that? The people that are killing him with those stones, he is saying, Lord, don't lay this in your charge. I'll tell you how he did it, because he was full of the Holy Ghost. Even Acts chapter number 2. You know what another thing is with the, with the filling of the Holy Spirit? You think about that. Listen, we're always, and once you get saved, you never lose the indwelling. But we ain't always filled. We're filled when we choose to obey the Word of God. And once we're filled, there's certain ministries that we can perform that we couldn't do before. Think about Acts 2 and Peter on the day of Pentecost. Remember when that rushing mighty wind came and the, the fire like cloven tongues set upon each one of them and those people that came that night from different nationalities, you know what they heard? They heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their own native tongue and boy, they got saved by the grace of God. Why was that possible? Because of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said this, and I'm moving on to the Watergate. A.W. Tozer said 95% of what the early church accomplished would have ceased if you'd have taken the Holy Spirit away. 95% of what the early church accomplished in the book of Acts would have ceased if the Holy Spirit had been removed. But fast forward, 95% of what the modern church today would continue on if the Holy Spirit is removed. Amen. We rely on technology too much other stuff. Notice the Watergate, verse 26. What's that Watergate preacher? You know what that is? That's a picture of the Word of God. You and I are going to need that Word in our lives. We're going to have to have it. Young people, you better saturate yourself with the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to the Word of God. We have got to understand that the Bible is what we need. How many of you have walked in? I hit it a while ago just a little bit. How many of you tonight are going to be in heaven because you came in here or maybe some other church somewhere the man of God preached the Word of God or somebody come and knocked on your door and shared the Word of God. You know what? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It takes the Word. Well, you're going to have to get to the water gate. You know what? The water gate is the only one that didn't need repairing. The only one. You won't see it didn't need to be repaired, didn't need to be rebuilt. There ain't nothing wrong, son, with the water gate. Psalm 119, 105 said, Thy, lamp, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. That lets us know where we are right here. And a light unto my path. It shows us a direction in front of us. So think about this one. I got to watch this eighth one. Watch the horse gate, verse number twenty-eight. Anytime you see, a lot of times in the Bible, when you see horse in the Bible, it has to do with military or some kind of conflict or some kind of battle. Church, can I just tell you? And I don't have to preach a preach long right here for you to know this. You know, there's battles in the Christian life. You're going to have some. You're going to have some in the home. You're going to have some with children. You're going to have some. And if you're not careful, man, keep that sweet spirit that you got right here. Amen. You know what? There's two things you need. You need preaching and you need harmony. Amen. You got both of them. Amen. I know you got preaching and I know you got harmony. I can tell with the spirit and the liberty that's here tonight. But there's going to be battles that are coming. You know, there's, and it ain't going to be much of a battle, but in Revelation 19:11, John on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. 
He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. That word faithful and true is capitalized because it's in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find that's the Lord Jesus. But understand Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Understand we got enemies. There's three main enemies we've got. One is the world. That's external. The other is flesh. That's internal. The other is the devil. That's infernal. A lot of folks say, well, the devil made me do it. We give the devil way too much credit. My, you know who my biggest enemy is? It ain't the devil and it ain't the world. It's this old wicked flesh. Yeah, man. <laughs> my soul's saved, but this flesh ain't. Now, number nine. Now, right here. Put me on 15 minutes right now. Maybe even less than that. Y'all been so patient. Listen, preacher, I appreciate you so much allowing me to come. You probably won't never let me come. But I, I'm trying to give you my heart tonight. And I need to quit. But I want you to notice this eastern gate. What does this eastern gate have to do with anything? You know what? It has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, in Zechariah chapter number 4, in verse number 4, listen to what the Scripture said. And his feet, and that personal pronoun his, that's the Lord Jesus, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountains shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Where's he coming to, preacher? You don't have to speculate. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. When he comes. Now to rapture, son, he's coming in the air. But Zechariah is a picture to the second coming when he comes back to planet Earth. And he's going to come back. I found something interesting, preacher. In the 16th century, there was an Ottoman ruler by the name of Solomon. He was the 10th I think the, the 10th greatest leader of, of this, this Ottoman Empire. As a matter of fact, you know why Islam has exploded as much as it has today? They can, they can credit just about it all back to that fellow Solomon in the 16th century. But in 1537 to 1541, you know what he did? The walls had been knocked down by Titus in A.D. 70 by the Romans. And Solomon came in with the Ottoman Empire and he said, you know what, we're going to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the walls of Jerusalem look a whole lot different today than they did in Nehemiah's day. Some of those gates are gone. The eastern gate's gone. You know what the Solomon, or that Solomon did? In those four years while he had that built around Jerusalem, they were, like, they were like a vassal. They were underneath his leadership in Jerusalem. He had that wall rebuilt, and history documents this. In those four years, he heard Zechariah 14. Man, this Jewish people, they say their Messiah's coming to the Mount of Olives. They say he's coming through the eastern gate. You know what Solomon did? He said, boys, we're going to stop up that eastern gate. We're going to take big rocks and we're going to take big stones and we're going to seal it up and their Messiah ain't cake. And I just tell you, that, that, them little old rocks, he's the one that made them stones. He's the one that made them rocks and they ain't going to stop it. Now listen, the Bible said that in the last days scoffers would say, where is the promise of his coming? Hey, I got news tonight. Jesus hadn't changed his mind. He's still going to return. Let me preach just a minute. He, in, a, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, oh yes, the last trump, the trumpet shall 
myself. First Thessalonians 4. The next thing on God's calendar is this. There's a lot of folks say, well, now preacher, I thought you was a Bible preacher and you're preaching the rapture. Yes, I am a Bible preacher and yes, I believe the rapture. And they say, well, you don't find rapture in the Bible. That's exactly right. But when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, you'll find that word called up. You know what that is? That's harpazo in the Greek. Well, where in the world do we get rapture from? That's from the Latin word rapture. You know what it means? In our King James Bible, it means to be called up. You can call it snatched away. You can call it catching away. You can call it rapture. I don't care what you call it. God ain't changed his mind. He's still going to return. If you ain't saved tonight, you better get born again. Hey, we're living in perilous times in the last days. And if you ain't right with God, you better get right with God because the Bible said this in 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord, he ain't sending a messenger. He ain't sending an angel. He ain't sending a prophet. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hallelujah to God. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Lord, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Man, that's comforting words to the child of God, knowing that Jesus is going to return. You know what? With all the heartaches we deal with, all the problems we deal with, all the struggles we deal with, boy, it ain't it good to know that one of these days, Lord Jesus is going to take us out of here. And hey, you might close your eyes in death. I got good news too. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 8, all to be answered for the body is to be present with the Lord. Can I just say you on the other side, we might be down here scratching our head and saying, what in the world are we going to do? Can I say everything is good and in order up in heaven? God's not up there scratching his head. There's a place over there where there ain't no alcoholism. There's a place over there where there ain't no bitterness and no cancer and no chemotherapy and no death and no envy and no fussing and no fighting. Oh, there ain't no greed over there and there ain't no gossip and there ain't no hospitals and there ain't no uh, uh, hospice homes, Brother Tim. There ain't no indignation. There ain't no idiots over there either, by the way. There ain't no jealousy. They ain't no killing. They ain't no lust. They ain't no lie. They ain't no misery. They ain't no night over there, the Bible says. They ain't no oppression. They ain't no pride. They ain't no more questions. We got a lot of questions down here. They ain't no questions on the other. They ain't no retaliation. No suffering. No tailbearing. No unforgiveness. We like to hold a lot of grudges over here. You might as well shake that stuff off. They ain't gonna be no unforgiveness over there. No more violence. No more worries. No x-rays will be taken. No more yielding to sin, zero government shutdowns, zero mortgages, zero IRS, IRS, zero Republicans, Democrats, and all the fussing and the fighting. Thank God one of these days we're going home and he's coming to the eastern gate. As the pianist comes, I'll give you this last one. Last one's called the Mifkad gate. Man, i got to preach tomorrow night. The Mithcad gate. M-I-P-H-K-A-D. The tenth gate. Preacher, what's that got to do? Christian life. Look up that word, Mithcad. You know what it means? It means assignment. It means a designated spot. The literal word means a census for inspection. They tell me that at this particular gate, Brother Tim, as the soldiers would come back from battle, they would come through the Mithcad gate and the king would inspect them as they got home. Preacher, what's that got to do with anything? Can I tell you, there's a judgment seat that's waiting for us. A lost sinner friend, you better listen to me well. I'm going to hit this. And Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment. 
That's for all the unbelieving dead throughout all generations. That's where you're going to stand before God, and it ain't no second chance. Oh, yeah, if you die in your sin today, you'll go to a place called hell. And, man, there's no excuse for anybody to die lost because Jesus paid it all. But there's a place called hell. But the Bible said in Revelation 20 that death and hell is going to give up the dead that's in them. They're going to come up. And if the great white throne just small and great going to stand before God, ain't no second chances. No. You're going to find where that crowd, if their name's not written in the book of life, and if they're there on that day, it's not. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is a second death. You know what? You and I that are believers, we're just going to die one time. But if you're lost, you're going to die twice. That first death is a separation of the soul and this body. Boy, that second death is an eternal separation from God in a lake of fire. Boy, that's where you'll go, friend. Listen, if you're here tonight, man, I don't know if you've been playing games with God or not, whether you're young or whether you're old. Now, I know I've been a long-winded preacher tonight, but I want you to listen right here. If you've never been saved, listen, I beg you tonight to give your heart and life to Jesus. There's going to come a time... That last, he might be knocking on your heart's door. You don't even have to wait till I get done. You just come on. Because there'll come a time he'll knock for the last time. And you'll say no for the last time. But for you and I that are saved, oh, listen, the only fire you're ever going to feel is one burning in your heart. If you know Christ, if you've been through the sheep gate. But one of these days, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment, that's for believers only, judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us May give account of our of our so what we've done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. It, listen, it ain't a it ain't a matter if you're saved or lost. Oh no, that's that's took care of when you trust Christ. Your sins one or two places on you or it's on Christ. If it's on Christ, thank God it's paid for. If it's on you, well, hell awaits and then the lake of fire. All that can be changed tonight. But you know this, that's gonna be the judgment seat, brother Tim. I don't I'm not gonna be up there pushing to get to the front of the line. You ain't gonna be pushing to get to the front of the line. There ain't going to be no excuses made. There ain't going to be no passing the buck. We're going to give account of ourself to God, our stewardship. What have you done with your time? What have you done with your talent? What have you done with your treasure? How much more efficient could, as great as Woodland Baptist Church is, as, as what God's been doing at faith, how much more could we be if we gave more of our time? Because all of us can. If we gave more of our talent. We gave more of our treasure. But we're going to be called into account of that. And I'd say this while the pianist begins to play softly. I want you to chew on this. A few years ago, there's a young man that had got hooked on drugs. I mean, he had messed his life up at an early age. He got hooked on some alcohol one day and he ran up the road and he wrecked his car on the side of the road. Went down an embankment right there, and he got pinned in. He's hollering, trying to get out. Nobody's coming down the road, and all of a sudden, there's a fire breaks out in the back of that car. He's pinned in. He can't get out. He's screaming, somebody help me, somebody help me. All of a sudden, he hears a vehicle come and a slam on the brakes. Fella hops out and gets over there, Brother Tim, right in the nick of time and cuts the belt and drags that boy out. He's busted up. You'd have thought it would have got his attention. It didn't. Got worse and he waxed worse and he waxed worse. A few years elapsed. You'll find where he got into some deep trouble. 
with the law and he's got to go to court. Man, he's got a sentence that's coming. He's got a payday. Consequences for his sin. He goes into the courtroom that day and he's sweating. Man, I'm going to be spending some time in prison over this. He goes in, he's so nervous he could be, and you know how they say, well, all rise, and the judge come in, and all of a sudden that old boy's complexion began to change. He wasn't nervous anymore. He began to smile just a little bit, began to laugh, began to chuckle, even with his lawyer. And the judge saw it. He said, son, I want you and your lawyer to approach the bench. He said, son, do you realize you got some serious charges? He said, yes, I do. He said, do you realize you go to jail for a long time? I sure do. He said, well, I want to know what's so funny. Why are you smiling? He said, well, judge, I'll be honest with you. He said, when I came in here, he said, I was scared to death. He said, I just knew, man, that, that I'm going to get thrown into the slammer for a long time until I seen you. Don't you remember me, judge? The judge said, yes, sir, son, I remember you. I'm the one that pulled you out of the fire on the side of the road just a few years ago. He said, but son, you need to understand this. He said, on that day, I was your Savior. But today, I'm your judge. Now, if you're here tonight, Jesus is Savior. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Oh, can I tell you, my Savior loves you. He wants to save you whether you're young. It'd take a foolish man or woman to walk out of here. Man, he's been great liberty in here tonight. And if God the Holy Ghost deals from your heart, come through the sheep gate and get saved. And you don't have to worry about the lake of fire. You don't have to worry about hell. Thank God you can go to that better place. And what a day that's going to be. He's Savior today. But he's soon coming as judge as we stand our feet all over the house.